Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of The Hebrew Key, uh, one of the series we're doing here at Torah Today Ministries. The Hebrew Key is an effort to look into the depths of God's Word, into the, the Hebrew the letters and words that will help unlock and open up the deeper messages that God has for us in the Scriptures. And this week, we're going to look at probably the most important word in the Hebrew Scriptures. And that word is not just a word, it is God's own name. The Tetragrammaton, it's sometimes called. The four-letter name of transcendence. The ineffable name of God. The name that is unpronounceable. Some people will say Jehovah or Yahweh. Others will just spell it yud heh vav heh we do not know how it's pronounced. No one does. And I'm going to be doing a separate episode on that under the series Messy Antics. But in Judaism, when we encounter the four-letter name of God, normally it, we will just say Adonai, which means the Lord, or we'll say Hashem, which means the name, or I will spell it yad heh vav -Hey. And there you see God's name as it appears in Scripture. Yud, He, Vav, He. The four-letter, unpronounceable, transcendent name of God. There is much hidden here in this amazing and unique name. And uh, there's no way in one video or in many hours of videos can we delve into the, the full depths of this name. But we'll give you enough to where you can begin to appreciate it what you see when you see this name. Now, in our English translations, when this name is found in Hebrew, our English translations will put the word Lord in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when you see the word God in our English translations, that's usually Elohim. So sometimes you will see Lord God. That would be Adonai, yod heh vav -Heh, Elohim. So, just so you can interpret what you see in your own English translations. Now, I am recording this during the counting of the Omer, during the days between Passover and Shavuot, or Pentecost. We count the days. We count each day. Today's day number 19. And uh, when we get up to 49 days, the next day is Pentecost which is the day when we celebrate two things. One is the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, because it was on Shavuot, Pentecost, that God spoke from atop Mount Sinai. But we also celebrate the events we see in Acts chapter 2, when God came down upon his apostles with fire. And uh, But that's another story we'll, we'll cover in another video. But as we count these days from the time of slavery and death in a pagan nation to a place where we stand in the wilderness at Mount Sinai and we hear God speak. These days are a progression. And as I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that learning God's name, this four-letter name, is also a progression. Let's take a look. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, Moses is at the burning bush. Now, you know, Moses was 80 years old at this time. He had spent the first 40 years in Egypt, uh, living as a prince of Egypt. 
And then when he was 40 years old, he saw a taskmaster, uh, an Egyptian um, uh, enforcer, beating a Hebrew slave. And so Moses, I guess, he decided he was going to get up and get into the deliverance ministry and free his people. And so he killed the Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. Well, the next day, he found out that he was found out and that Pharaoh was going to be after him. And so he fled for his life and he fled to the land of Midian, 40 years old. And what, what a depression he must have been in. How he must have thought that, oh my goodness, I had the world at my fingertips. I was in a position of authority and power where I could have done something substantial for my people. And all I did was murder an Egyptian servant and then flee for my life. And then he was in Midian for 40 years, shepherding sheep. You talk about a demotion. And now at the age of 80 years old, age of 80, thinking he was a loser, thinking he was probably, well, I had to think he was at the end of his life, very close to it and thinking that he was an utter failure. But uh, God, as you know the story so well, speaks to him from a burning bush and calls to him and says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and lead my people out to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses kept giving God excuses about why God had picked the wrong man. But the truth of the matter is, God had spent the last 80 years making Moses into the right man. And one of the excuses that Moses gives God is, well, if they ask me who sent you, who do I tell them sent me? What is your name? And here's the passage. Exodus 3, starting with verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's Eya Asher Eya. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am, Eya, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. Yad Hevave, Adonai Hashem, the Lord. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So we see here that God gives him three answers in a particular order. He says, Eya asher Eya, I am who I am. Eya has sent me to you. And then Yadhevafe. He says, this is my eternal name right here. Why did God give him three names? Why didn't he go directly to the name we're aiming at? Why this progression? Well, just as we are in the days of counting the omers, we make progress from a time of slavery to a time of freedom and receiving God's Torah, we have to make a progression in learning this name. Let me explain what I mean. Here we see the three messages that God gives Moses. Eya, Asher, Eya is at the top. And then we have 
just Aya by itself, and then Yadhe Vavhe. And this forms a progression as we approach knowing the true name of God. What's going on here? Well, let's analyze these and set a foundation for understanding these words the best we can. I want us to look at the, the top line. Eya, Asher, Eya. I want you to notice that the middle letter appears only here. In all three lines, we find this letter Shin only here in the first line and right in the very middle. The letter Shin is the letter of fire. It's always considered the letter of fire in Hebraic thought. And I believe that God has placed this letter Shin in the middle of this elongated name because fire is his essence. From Genesis to Revelation, when you see fire, it is God's holy essence. The, the word of God almost shouts at us this reality that God is a consuming fire. He is a holy fire. And when we see fire in its raw power, we're seeing the nature of God. And we need to understand this better. And just as he appeared on Mount Sinai in fire, he appeared on the apostles' heads on Shavuot in fire. And uh, Elijah was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. God is speaking to Moses through a, a, a bush that is a fire, but not consumed. And uh, when John sees Yeshua's angel on the island of Patmos, he looked in his eyes and his eyes were flames of fire. And we know that the eyes are the window of the soul. And as John looked into Yeshua's eyes, the essence he saw within was fire. And John the Immerser said, I immerse you in water, but the one who comes after me, Yeshua, he will immerse you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And you may be wondering, why fire? Because our bodies do not like fire. And that's true. My body and fire do not mix very well. But that spiritual part of me, my soul and my spirit, they're impervious to the fire. Fire to them is like bath water to my body. Fire to them is purifying and empowering. So when we see that God is fire, we must also remember that he is spirit. And so the fire represents a spiritual purity, this spiritual reality of who God is. It's a wonderful symbol. But when it comes to the physical realm, water is what my body likes. So that's another story. But well, we see fires at the essence. But I want you to notice something else. This word in the middle, this word asher, is also, uh, which also means that or which, is also a name of one of the tribes, the tribe of Asher. And when it's pronounced that way, Asher, it means happy or contented. Psalm 1 begins with the phrase, contented is the man, asherah haish. Uh, the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scorner. He's contented. He's happy. And this is another thing. Though our God is a consuming fire, he is a happy God. There is a phrase in one of Paul's writings where he actually, in the Greek, refers to God as the happy God. 
if joy is a fruit of God's Spirit, that means it is an attribute of God Himself. Joy. He is a joyful God. And we should be a joyful people. Of course, there are times we grieve, there are times that we hurt and we ache. In this world, that's expected. But deep down in our spirits, there should be this undergirding awareness of joy because we know the end of the story. Pleasure is a function of the flesh. Happiness is a function of the soul. But joy is much deeper and more permanent. And it is a fruit and a function of our spirit. So, we see fire. We also see happiness and joy. Now, notice that each of these words begins with the same letter. There's an Aleph and Aya, an Aleph and Asher, another Aleph and Aya. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is a silent letter, has a numerical value of one, and its name means to, uh, Lord or Master. And um, it is considered to be the Lord and Master of the alphabet. So it is only appropriate that in this name, that God introduces his, uh, these three words. Uh, each one begins with this letter Aleph. Now, you must understand that each of these words, there's, of course, Aya is repeated. There's two words here. Aya and Asher are both very common everyday words in the Hebrew. We find the word Aya just as it's spelled here. Uh, more than 40 times in the Tanakh. And it's not referring to God's name, Eya Asher Eya. It just means I'll be. I will be this to you. I will be that. And when someone says I will be, they say Eya. It's a very common, everyday vernacular word. Asher is found hundreds of times in the scripture because it means that or which. It connects. I am that I am. And um, it's found hundreds of times. So these are very common words. And then he shortens it all down. He compresses it down into just Aya, I am. Maybe better translated, I will be. But then he leaves normal language behind. And he has a new word, which is not just a word, it's a name. It's a name that is unpronounceable. We don't know how it's pronounced. It's pronounceable, but we just don't know how. And anyone who claims that they do is simply mistaken. Be patient with them. And uh, they're doing their best, but we don't know how it's pronounced. So we've left the physical. We've left the world of common language and now moved in the world of spiritual things. And however you pronounce this name, spelled Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, however it's pronounced, we know this. It is a verb. It's more than just a name. It is a verb. To say, I was, we would say, Haya, Hey, Yud, Hey. To say, I will be, one of the most common ways is Yud, Hey, yud, yihi. And then hava can mean is or hove. Um, but all the ways of saying was, is, or will be can be spelled using either a combination of yud, hey, 
and Vav. So this name is a verb. That's the point I want to drive across. And here's the lesson. Catch this. We don't pronounce God's name with our lips. We pronounce his name with our actions, with our deeds. That's how we pronounce his name. If we knew how his name was pronounced with our lips, then we could train a parrot to say his name. But we can't train a parrot to do God's works. That is something that is up to us to do with our own free wills and with his word within us informing us how to live. We can live out his name. We'll come back to this in a moment because there's another progression that I want us to see. Three chapters later in Exodus chapter 6, God is having another conversation with Moses and once again concerning his name. In Exodus 6 verse 3, God tells Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name yad heh I did not make myself known to them. Now this is very interesting because we know that Abraham used the name yad heh and so did Isaac, so did Jacob. In fact, if we go all the way back to Genesis, it appears that Adam himself was aware of this name of God. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of yad heh Elohim, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Adonai, yad heh Elohim, among the trees of the garden. But Adonai, yad heh Adonai Elohim, called to the man, said to him, Where are you? It would certainly seem, it's implied from this, that Adam was aware of this name. So what does God mean when he says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai? But by my name, yad heh I did not make myself known to them. What does that mean? To understand it, we must again see that God is revealing his name in a progression. He starts with El Shaddai, but then we arrive at yad heh In chapter 3, he began with Eya Asher Eya, moved to Eya, and then to yad heh Here he begins with El Shaddai and moves to yad heh now, what does this name El Shaddai mean? Well, two things. The word El means God. Okay, so there's no controversy there. But Shaddai has two possibilities. The first two letters of Shaddai, Shin and Dalit, spell the word Shad, which is the Hebrew word for a woman's breast. So, an infant child nurses at his mother's shad. And so some translations and commentators will inform us that El Shaddai can mean God, the breasted one. Now that may seem very odd to us for God, who is portrayed in the masculine almost all the time, to be thought of in the feminine. But as unusual as it is, it's not that unusual. There are a number of places where God 
portrays himself in a feminine role. Because after all, masculinity and femininity, femininity both come from him. They're both his idea. And though he refers to himself in the masculine as a he, not a she or an it, there are many times when he will express something feminine about himself, as if to let us know, don't think of me just as your father, but everything you see in your mother that you love so much, those attributes also were my idea and they come from me because they express something about me. Didn't the master himself, when riding into Jerusalem, cry over the city and said, oh, you know, God wanted to gather you under his wings as a hen, feminine, gathers its chicks. We see places in the scriptures where a cow, not a bull, but a cow, is a picture of God, a, a symbol of him. And, um, and in the Psalms, in one place, David uh, I believe it's Psalm 131. Psalm 131, David is talking about God and says, I am like a weaned child leaning on my, against my mother. Referring to God as being that mother. So again, I, I hope you don't take this to an extreme. God is portrayed in the masculine 99, nine-tenths of the time. But um, there are these times, as here, that he also takes on the feminine because he, is, he loves us not just as a father, but also as a nursing mother. Now, there's another thing as well. If we take the last two letters, they spell the word die. Now, in Hebrew, die doesn't mean to die. Die means enough, sufficient. And at your Passover seders, you, you may sing that song, Dienu. Die, die, nu, die, die, nu. It would have been enough. And in the Seder, we say, uh, if God had, had freed us from Egypt, but not crossed us across the Red Sea, that would have been enough. Die, nu. If he'd brought us across the Red Sea, but not fed us with manna, that would have been enough. Die, nu. If he'd fed us with manna, but not given us the Torah, that would have been enough. Die, nu. Sufficient, enough, more than enough. And so this name can also mean that God is the all-sufficient one. And so the two terms, the sufficient one and the breasted one, really go along with each other. Because to an infant child, all he needs is his mother. She provides his nourishment, his protection, everything he needs. And God, as El Shaddai, is also the all-sufficient. He takes care of all of our needs. So... What is with these two names? And I have an important insight for you, and I hope you catch this. For most of us, I'd say probably for all of us, we begin our walk with God and our experience with God, knowing Him only as El Shaddai. And when we pray, we ask for things. In fact, we equate prayer with asking God for things, asking God for for finances, for health, for uh, a wife, for a husband, for a home, for a, a repaired relationship. We're always asking, asking, asking. Because God is the all-sufficient one and He can give. There's nothing we need that He cannot provide. For some people, though, they never grow past knowing God only as El Shaddai. 
He will always be El Shaddai to us, but he wants to be something more. He wants to be to us yad he vav the one who is. I think Rabbi David Aaron put it best in one of his books. He, he talks about how God is the be-er and we are the be-eens. It's like God is the singer, but we're the singing. He's the dancer, but we're the dancing. He's the writer, but we are the writing. And to sum it all up, he is the be-er. He is the verb. He, his name is a verb, but we are the be-eens. Now let's figure out how this applies to us. I encourage you in, in your prayer time, instead of just asking God for things, spend time in prayer praising God, thanking God, rehearsing His attributes. Get yourself a good siddur, a prayer book. Because in the prayer book, yes, there are requests, but most of the prayers in the prayer book are praising God, focusing on who He is and what He has done for us. And just resetting our minds on who this great God is. And as we do that, what we can do is begin to grow up. Of course, we'll always be asking God for things. That will never stop, and He doesn't expect it to. But we'll become something more. It will go beyond just asking God to give us something or to do something for us, but a surrendering to where we say, Father, what can I do for you? It's like a little child who always just wants something from its mother, but growing up to the point and saying, Mother, what can I do for you? And here's what we can do for God. There's nothing we have that he needs but there's something he invites us to do. He wants to be known in the world. He wants to bring tikkun, repair, to the world. He wants to see the needs of the world met. And he especially wants to do that through you and me. And when you and I submit ourselves in humility to him, and when we take in his instruction, his commandments, and we do them in love for God and love for our neighbor, then something amazing happens. God is doing the thing through us. He is the beer and we are the being. This is, after all, what we were created for. Paul tells us we were created for good deeds, good works in Messiah Yeshua. And when we are doing the works of God, when he's doing his work through us, then are we truly bearing his image in the world. Then his image is being truly restored in us. Then the image of Adam is being restored, the fallen image. Because instead of rebelling against God and disobeying him, we are now allowing him to operate through us. So know God as El Shaddai. But let's continue to grow to where we know him as yad heh Now you might ask the question, 
Why is it here in this early stage of Moses' ministry of bringing the Israelites out of Egypt uh, that, that this is happening? Why is God at this time saying, I'm really making myself known to them as yad heh vav I'm, I'm expressing an attribute of myself that uh, I was not known by, by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and others before now. What is he doing? Well, as he takes the Israelites out of slavery and death and brings them to Mount Sinai, he's going to make a covenant with them. And everything that happens there at Mount Sinai is pictured by the Jewish wedding ceremony. His covenant is literally a covenant of marriage where he's taking a people as his bride. And when a man and a woman enter into the covenant of marriage, into that intimacy, they become one. And the man expresses himself through the woman. In fact, a man cannot truly express himself unless he is in a relationship of marriage with a woman. Because his seed can never come out into the world. This, this picture of his love for his wife and her love for him, this third person cannot emerge. That is an expression and a, and a three-dimensional walking, talking picture of their love for one another. And the woman is an amazing vessel who is one through whom the husband can take what he has and she will take that and she will prosper it and make it fruitful and impact the world. This is a topic we'll discuss at another time, but it's a, a very, very deep and very spiritual topic. But as the people come to Mount Sinai, they're entering into this new relationship with God, something Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not know. And then they're going to receive his commandments. In other words, the mind of God, the will of God, and his desires are going to be given to them so that they can do his desires. He'll be the be-er, they can be the be-ings. And of course, we know that didn't work all that well. There's a lot of stumbling about, a lot of misunderstandings and ego and selfishness and pride and disobedience and and things went horribly wrong at times. But God still managed to bring his people into the land. And he's not done yet. But what was started at Mount Sinai will eventually reach completion. And when it does, as Jeremiah tells us in the 31st chapter of his book, then no man will tell his neighbor, no Adonai, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. We'll all know God as the great beer, and we will find our fulfillment in being his beings and doing his will, allowing him to express his love and his attributes through us. And that is when life is at its fullest. Life can be very full knowing God as El Shaddai. Ah, but when we begin to know him as Yadevave, and remember that name as a verb, then life really reaches a fullness. 
that is abundant life that I hope we all experience. But it is a progression. We have to take steps to get to Yadhe Vavhe. And we're all on this journey together as we come to truly know God's name. So I hope this teaching is a blessing to you and look forward to talking to you next time on the Hebrew Key. So tune in again and check out our other series on uh, Torah Today Ministries. Click the link below and, and join us, subscribe, and we'll make sure that you get all the teachings as they come out. God bless and Shalom. Over and out.